0: everyone and welcome back to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur show. I'm Justin Bizarro, I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. Thank you everyone for listening in. If you want to listen to us, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts and you're feeling lazy and on the couch, open up your DoorDash app and uh, order away. So, that being said, you can also find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur. You can find me personally at Justin Bizarro B I W Z A W R O and also, just so I make sure I plug it, you can also listen to our other podcasts, uh, The Night Dasher with Justin Bizarro, The Justin and Ryan Bizarro Show, which will be launching in May, as well as The Centurion Leadership Battalion with Justin Bizarro as well. So a lot of names there, a lot of podcasts, but check them out. We're diversifying. It's exciting. It means that this podcast is doing well and we are starting to launch other ones and spin off to continue the memento. So from phoenix arizona i've Saad el karate of twist hot chicken how are you doing today
1: i'm doing pretty good thank you for making the time to, to talk with me
0: yeah i mean we we're just talking it's already 93 degrees in arizona right now so i mean you guys are cooking there um, <laughs> <Sure> because <are. laughs> it's a good place for hot chicken because i interestingly find that even in nashville the hotter it gets the more tourists come and the more hot chicken they eat there so It's a very interesting scenario, but I think everyone enjoys food more when it's hot outside and they get to go outside and eat it. But I don't know about Arizona temperatures. I think you guys probably get up to like 110 sometimes (laughs) ridiculously.
1: In July, it's 118. Oh, oh
0: my goodness. And it's dry heat. (laughs) That's crazy. So, Saad, tell me about your story Tell me about how you became an entrepreneur. How did you end up in the chicken game? Let's go all the way back to your childhood because we have plenty of time, but I, I want to dive into your story, talk about your influences and, and how you ended up in Phoenix with a hot, hot chicken concept.
1: Absolutely. Well, um, you know, I, my parents are originally from Morocco. So um, I grew up between um, New York City and uh, Casablanca, Morocco. So um obviously my, my love affair started with food thanks to living in New York City where we have so many different cultures and you get to to sample the world without getting on the airplane so to speak um uh, but also what kind of helped me a great deal is the fact that uh I li- when I when we moved and lived in Morocco uh I was able to travel to the Middle East I was able to travel more uh you know all throughout Europe and Africa as well so and as uh as I travel, you know I pick up different tendencies different uh types of food different use of uh, different ingredients and throughout the years you know as I got older and I started experimenting here and there, and that's just how I came up with uh with my um you know eclectic i would say type of cooking you know so
0: Talk to me about growing up in New York City as a kid. Like, talk to me about, like, you came over here. Like, my ex-wife, she was from Bangladesh, and she grew up in Astoria, Queens. She came over here when she was four. And I know the influence on food and life that it had on you. And and so, I mean, explain to me what that was like, because it's obviously different than a lot of food entrepreneurs who grew up in America Per se, and whose family didn't come from another country, but I mean, New York City is a whole other animal. So you've had exposure to so much food, also. So let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, absolutely, because I mean, we lived in the Bronx, and uh, the Bronx, well, I lived on the west side of the Bronx, Um, but uh, the Bronx itself was uh, heavily influenced by uh, Latin Caribbean culture. So it's it was mostly Puerto Rican. So I got familiar with Puerto Rican food, which. A lot of us living there, we we eat that almost almost every day. Uh, but also the immigration changed a little bit in the Bronx, and then you have more Dominicans moving in, and their food looks similar to than, uh, to Puerto Rican food, but not really. So uh, that's just in the Bronx alone. Now, if you venture out a little bit and you go towards uh, Queens that's pretty much you know wonderland for me when it comes to food because you have every single ethnicity uh living in queens and the reason being is because for one is the biggest borough but also both airports in new york city are in queens so most people just land and stay in queens you know so and that's what makes it so unique uh and you have a about two to three different neighborhoods in Queens that that are by far per capita, the most diverse, um, you know, uh, neighborhoods in in the world. And notably Jackson Heights, which has a lot of uh, Bengalis, you know, uh, a lot of people from Bangladesh. And that's actually where we all go to get some Bengali food, for example
0: yeah when I lived in Astoria I always went to Jackson Heights for the food there because it's just an an incredible experience Um, being able to try the the food there it's like Little India in Jackson Heights I also point out like just to really nail this home, like you get into Astoria a little bit. It's like a lot of Italian food. And then as you start creeping towards Ditmar's a little bit, it, it's also Greek. So like that Astoria, Greek. Queens area is like that Greek Italian. You start getting into like Jamaica, Queens, obviously you get a little more Island population, not just because the name, but um, you'll go there. And I also like, there's a lot of Guyanese food out in parts of Queens as well that I found. And
1: we keep going yes. in
0: Dominican, uh, food as well and I I agree with you on the Puerto Rican food too because New York City has just such a staple of that um, mm-hmm. here but I I mean I'm I'm really my exposure to it was in New York City and I am really surprised that things like um, certain styles of Puerto Rican or Dominican food haven't made their way into fast food yet or even like Peruvian chicken which I know is um, popular in a lot of places and has started going to New York as well it's just I agree I can't even like my mouth is watering. Um, the food there is so good. And I'm actually talking about this, um, as well as like, you almost go on a foodie tour when you get there and you get such, um, if you've grown up there, you get such a different palate and taste for food and also a competitive, um, bug, I would say like you just become more competitive, I think as an individual. And, um, That all comes out, once you get out of the shark tank, you're like a shark in minnow waters a little bit, I think, in the rest of the United States, at least once I spent so much time there, did business there, we did all the New York City hospitals for almost 20 years, all the food, millions of meals per per year, and... It's you become a different animal. I don't even know how to describe it. Like you've already got the in- immigration coming in, you already have a hunger to make the American dream. But then in New York City, it's like you you get out of there and it's like they unleash a beast. And
1: absolutely, absolutely, couldn't agree more.
0: So talk to me about like what's your favorite food? Like, um, would you grow up eating? I mean, we talked a little bit about the food you had, but how did you land on hot chicken? Well,
1: um. Well, see, I had a a a restaurant in uh, San Diego. That's where I used to live before I moved to Phoenix for eight years. And but it had nothing to do with hot chicken. I just, uh, you know, I met with my future business partner, and he was well established here in Phoenix. And he pretty much just pitched the idea. He goes, "Look, um, have only one hot chicken spot in the whole metro area of Phoenix." I really think that uh if we come up with uh you know a hot chicken concept I think we and with you know my uh experience dealing with different ingredients and just um you know make it stand out by using those different ingredients that I'm familiar with I think we would be very successful and so we were in talks for about a whole year until uh, you know um I pulled the trigger and I moved out here and and here we are we're like about uh, a year and a couple of months into the business venture and it's been very successful from day one, thankfully.
0: Okay, so let's talk about how do you develop a menu? Like, how would you... um How'd you come up with the items? How'd you develop the recipes? I mean, you sort of grew up in food and the food game and had another mm-hmm. restaurant. So how'd you translate that into Arizona? Because San Diego demographics, obviously way different than Phoenix, number one. Or maybe it's similar, uh, but I I can't imagine that it is. But I could be wrong. And But how did you do this? How'd you go about it? What does your menu consist of? And how'd you develop the items?
1: Well, the number one thing for me was... Uh, I just wanted to create a product and price it correctly where it's beneficial to to me, the business owner, but also to the consumer. So, uh, what we started doing was we started crafting every single item uh, from scratch. So, for example, we get our brioche uh, uh, baked locally in an artisan uh, type of bakery. Uh, the chicken is locally, um, you know, sourced. And also, um, as far as the spices, I get all my spices from uh, New York City, believe it or not. So um, there there are certain Indian spices that I I cannot divulge what they are, but I use them in my spice mix for the the hot oil that we dip the chicken in. And that's what makes it very different and, and makes it stand out from the competition. So uh, another thing, too, is uh, the, uh, the dressings. We make the dressings from scratch for the coleslaw. We have three different types of coleslaws. So we have a red coleslaw. We have a creamy coleslaw. And then also we have a kale slaw that we make uh, from scratch. Um, another thing, too, is that that sets us apart. We have a full-on vegan menu as well where we offer vegan uh, hot chicken sandwiches, vegan tenders. Uh, and vegan sides. Um, we, um, we make lemonade in house as well with crazy flavors like dragon fruit and prickly pear, which is uh, a very popular flavor here in Arizona. Um, the tea, we make uh, Moroccan tea for example. And Moroccan tea stands out because it has a very strong minty flavor. I add a couple of uh, different types of um, spices to give it more of a you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More of a savory taste, you know. So we make we bank on the fact that we are different than everybody else. Sure, you can have hot chicken anywhere in the world, but when you get it at Twist Hot Chicken, that's hence why we call it Twist because we put our own twist to it. So it's uh we make sure that we have a product that you that cannot be duplicated. Then you have to come get it at Twist Hot Chicken.
0: So, I love this. How did, like, let's talk about your Instagram and your social media because you're obviously gaining momentum and and you're doing things well and people are attracted to it. That's how I found you guys, what you guys are doing on social media. And, you know, chicken and fried chicken or or the chicken concepts, I believe, are, are fastly coming back and, and, becoming one of the things that we're really going to go after again, because chicken prices went up and eggs went up. But all that does is drive demand. When people think it's going to become a scarcity or it becomes more expensive, it weirdly drives people more to those businesses. And we've seen a lot of people try to get into this business, but they're not doing as well as say the, the entrepreneurs like yourself. So how did you go about launching your business and, and building the social media following that you have?
1: You know, the, um, the great thing is just to have the right people in charge to, to have a vision for you because sure, I mean, I know how to make good food, but I'm not great at marketing, even though I'm a business major, that's where I went to school for. But sometimes you just have to get, uh, get out of your own way and just let professional professionals do their job. In our case, uh, we have Hillary who, uh, who's awesome at what she does. And then she's the driving force behind that, uh, Uh, In the social media campaign, you know, Uh, she thinks outside the box um, and she's very unorthodox with the way she attracts people into, um, you know, our page and subconsciously just, um, you know, trying our food. So that's the main thing. I mean, uh, you have to have the right people in charge. That's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, I'll give Hillary a little shout out too because I'm pretty sure she's who I communicated with on social media to coordinate all this. Okay. I'm extremely responsive, extremely on top of her game. So I agree with you. It's about finding the right... Uh, Individuals to represent your brand and who actually can see your vision, if you know. And it's it is about the entrepreneurs casting a vision. That's understandable. Agreed, but it's also it takes a very talented person to translate that vision into social media or into marketing and advertising. As you know, you can study business all all day long, but there's like 15 different subcategories of business, and they're growing every day. From now, like data analytics is like one in IT. Those are all part of your businesses, and so talk to me about like your store like your relationship with the customers and the clients how did you sort of build a reputation locally with the businesses uh, we talked about social media but how did you then get people into the store once you moved from San Diego let's say to Phoenix and open this how did you get people how did you make people wear how did you get people in the door
1: well the um, the key to that was my partner he's well established he has different types of restaurants here so He's pretty well known in the area, so he used his uh, reputation to reach out to his, you know, <laughs> vast uh, network of uh, customers out here. So he was promoting, he was cross uh, cross promoting Twist Hot Chicken to his other businesses, and that's kind of what built up the momentum. And on top of that, there is there was no uh, competition around here as far as like hot chicken goes, so people were dying to have a hot chicken spot here. And I'm I'm just glad that, uh, you know, we didn't disappoint them because they've been supporting us for over a year now. So, And that's really how it came about.
0: So I love this. I love that you sort of create loyalty and then you continue to, you know, build other options for those same customers or clients you're building relationship anyway, and why not offer them more in diversity? I like that a lot. What is it? What's your favorite thing about this business? Like, what are the things that you enjoy most about being in the food game, or the most about being a food entrepreneur?
1: You know, to me, it's the creativity. Uh, There's no ceiling to it, so you can, and the freedom of being creative. Uh, I think people usually get burned out by uh, in in their jobs because they feel like they always hit a ceiling. But in the food game, if you love it and you love creating. I mean the sky's not even the limit and uh, it's not uh, redundant. you know every day you have different challenges. Every day you have you're a problem solver, not only in the kitchen but outside of the kitchen. and that's what drives me every day, you know so that's that's what I love about being. I mean a lot of people think that it's a very tough uh, field to be in and it is. but if you if you just love it, and you breathe in, and you when you go to sleep, that's all you think about. You know, you wake up the next day just looking forward to to the challenge, even though it's going to be hard, but you look forward to that because at the end of the day, all you're going to do is just get better and, uh, you know, and uh, improve, you know, with time. So that's what I love about it the most.
0: What are the most popular items on your menu? The twist hot chicken
1: uh, and uh Believe it or not, people just like basic things, but when they taste our sandwich, they realize there's nothing basic about it. Uh, starting with the sauce, for, for example. Our sauce is more like a remoulade sauce. I always thought that the remoulade sauce is very, uh, um, you know, underappreciated because most people just use it just from po boys, and not a lot of people have tried po boys in their life. So, uh, So I just made a similar type of sauce. That reminds you of that because it has chives, it has shallots, it has mustard seeds, and usually, you know, most hot chicken spots they use um, a sauce that's made most mostly out of mayo, ketchup, and mustard, and to keep it simple. With me, every single layer of that sandwich has to hit home for me. For example, the uh, uh, the dressing for the uh, uh, the the coleslaw, uh, the dressing has. Dijon mustard, but also has passion fruit instead of lemon juice to give you a little bit of tartness, but a little bit of sweetness. That's kind of hard to to find. Um, the seasoning, for example, for the chicken, not only we marinate it in uh, you know a specific marinade, but also our flour is uniquely seasoned. Uh, so what we do is we season it. We leave it in the um, uh, the walk-in fridge for about a couple of hours to to let the moisture get into that, uh, you know, that uh, that flour, and then we reflower it to order when you order the, the the food. So it makes it crunchier, but also it makes it tastier because you add layers on top of layers of just flavor and uh, and spices. Uh, but uh, and lastly, the uh, uh, you know the, the 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 pickles, the pickles we pickle them in house. Uh, so and of course, we have our own little mixture of, uh, of uh, you know, whole spices that we use to achieve that kind of taste. So sure. I mean, it sounds pretty simple. It's just a hot chicken sandwich. But when you get to a hot chicken, you will realize that there's nothing um, simple or, or um, you know, normal about what we do.
0: And I, I, like I said earlier, I mean, I've been looking at this chicken sandwich game for like two, three years now heavily because I just see it as people are getting more portable. You know, Chick-fil-A's risen. However, they, they're very basic. You get spicy, not spicy, And mm-hmm. Americans are starting to look for more in their food. And these things that once were, quote, unquote, spicy are almost becoming bland. And the bland, the non-flavor one is really, really bland. And so, like, they're looking for things. That's why I like what you're doing here. So um, just as a, a side note, I mean, I don't need any com- any comments on I'm just like, I really like mm. what you're doing. I want to get to Philadelphia and try the sandwich because I think the unique recipes, the variations that you're taking on the recipes to make them yours, and then mm. your knowledge of being able to combine flavors and sauce and bread and marinade and then the breading on the chicken is incredible and I agree with you one hundred percent when you when you bread it and you let it sit in the refrigerator for four plus hours and then rebread it to order or recoat it however if it's not bread, bread's the wrong word. I know it's breading but it's not always made of mm-hmm. bread. But the um you get a much fluffier, crispier flavor And I would say also when you're frying it or cooking it or air frying it or putting in the oven, however anyone does it, because of that extra laying, it locks in the juices inside the crust. And because the first layer is already sort of moist uh, uh, when you did it the first time, when you coat it the first time, it actually allows a buffering in there. And I feel like when everyone's like, oh, cook that out, it's like, no, that adds back into the flavor of the chicken. And when you bite into it, it keeps it moist and and tastier and you get to taste all the flavors the natural flavors of the chicken combined with all the specialty ingredients that you're putting in like you said the the stuff from the spices from India and making the romelade sauce and you know doing a little more like a po boy which I love I like that idea and I agree with you that we've got so much hot chicken on the market everyone almost does it the same and there's very few people that are doing it uniquely anymore so let's talk about like the delivery business because um i assume you do deliveries you probably use doordash or uber or chow now or postmates or whatever they are or all of them like how did you integrate that in if you are using them and how do you manage it because you've got a fried chicken product you're trying to keep the high quality of your mac and cheese and your coleslaw but you're also now relying on third parties to deliver your food
1: it's funny you said that because we barely just incorporated them uh, last week. We just wanted to wait uh, for a whole year just to try to get to gauge uh, the demand for delivery, but also to make sure that our kitchen is uh, well uh, organized so we can, you know, keep up with the demand without, you know, uh, compromising the quality and integrity of our food. Now, as far as uh, delivery goes. Uh, we have we cap it at three miles. So that's a three miles radius where we're uh, we would like to deliver our food because, like you said, it's fried chicken. You want stuff to get to you, uh, you know, as hot as fresh as possible. It's impossible to do that if you have like a a bigger radius. So that's what we figured out, and we looked at the data, you know, for the, the whole year of data that that we had, just to saw and saw how many different zip codes uh, we were serving, and then we just that's how we came up with the magic number of three miles uh, per radius. So and and it's been it's been working great. I mean, people have been loving it. You know, a lot of them just uh, think that it's more convenient because. We're we're located in a pretty busy area here, where it's nothing but shopping centers around us and uh, and restaurants. So it alleviates the the need of them to just dealing with the with, with the traffic and actually just ordering their favorite food straight to to their home. So it's been a win win
0: yeah i love this and i love that you waited to build your own brand and sort of establish yourself before you got in the delivery business and i actually if anyone comes to me or i'm consulting for anyone i recommend the same thing i know it's an easy jump start but you don't know what it is and and you're not earning your own clients yet and customers you're almost like co-managing them or co-establishing them, and it's hard to get your business off the ground if you have a business partner, quote unquote, that has a different objective and vision than you do. It's okay to bring them in as a partner eventually when you've established yourself and established your brand, but to try to establish your brand as part of another brand or another service, I often find is hard. And when competitors come in that do the same thing, it's like discounts and everything start to wager into that based on whatever the delivery service offers. And so you're still not in control of your customers because they're acting like the gatekeeper or the key master, however you want to look at it. And Absolutely. And in this case, you want to establish it and then allow it to grow. And then on the other hand, I also agree, like, you need to get your food right before it delivers you need to figure out how long you're going to go for delivery. Because I know people are like, oh, whatever, I'll allow DoorDash to drive my food, like, 15 miles. I'm like, what? Well, unless it's, like, Chinese food uh, and it depends on what kind or pizza – Like That's even pushing it, but I know 12, 14, 15 miles has become a thing, but I think it's great because you want to establish uh, your brand everywhere, or you want people to try your food, but you have to keep in mind what happens to that food being hot or cold for that amount of time, and no matter how many warming bags or whatever there are, the experience changes somewhat, and I agree. You want to deliver food long distances, and you want people to get the idea of your food, But you also have to keep in mind, what are you trying to get to? I mean, there's a reason Domino's only delivers 10 minutes or less, because it's about a five-mile radius, because that's the max they feel their pizza will go without starting to degrade quality afterwards. And that's why there's so many Domino's. I was like, why is there so many Domino's compared to everyone else? Well, they're not an in-store pizza place. They're a delivery place, so they've perfected that game, Okay. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about something, an established brand. And now, you know, you have items that are going delivery, but you're entering the delivery game with the knowledge that I don't need to overdo this. And I think that that's so smart. Concentrate on what's right in front of you. Don't worry about the forest just yet and all the trees. Concentrate on the trees that are in your radius and build relationships with them and establish it and let social media start to do the distancing for you so people come to you. And that's just my opinion, but uh, I don't know how you feel about that
1: absolutely and you no know, the thing is you know people just take this being self employed entrepreneur uh uh to to heart, but really, there's no such thing as working for yourself. I work for uh two people i work and I work for the employees, so you have to find a happy medium where you are pleasing both parties now sometimes it can be very tough but as, as, you know with customers it's a lot easier because all you have to focus on is just making the best food possible and giving them the best service possible uh now once you focus on those two elements then there's just no way you can you can fail I mean, and I've proven that times and times again, because I didn't have any experience in the restaurant business uh, before I started my restaurant in San Diego. Uh, you know, I was just a corporate guy. You know, uh, I had a pretty, uh, you know, eventful and pretty interesting uh, corporate uh, career. But at the end of the day... I- to school for entrepreneurship and, uh, and you know the fact that my dad was an entrepreneur himself he wasn't in the in the restaurant business but uh, I just saw how uh, it impacted his life for the better because he was doing something that he truly believed in he was passionate about and no matter what was going on in his daily life he was always ready to go and always to, uh, ready to serve people um, His the main thing that I learned from him is that uh, he said there's just no better business than being in the business of serving people, and what better business to serve people in than feeding them? You know, so it just—I mean, I, me personally, I just feel like I have the best uh, job in the world because there are just no limitations, and you learn every day. There's no such such thing as being an expert. I don't believe in that. Um, you know delusional when they go around throwing the word oh i'm an expert in this there's, there's no such thing i mean michael jordan was the best basketball player in the world but he missed a lot of shots as well so i don't want to hear about that expertise uh so you just got to humble yourself and know that uh without the customers and your employees you will not have a business and that's just the attitude that i always had and thankfully it's been working for me because i truly believe in
0: it yeah, I love this. And I'm going to comment on the expert thing because I agree with you. And um, I would agree that Michael Jordan was, quote unquote, an expert at basketball, probably the best mm-hmm. in the world. But interestingly, if we're talking longevity of a basketball player and who the expert sitting right now is on that or making sure their career goes on in the NBA like 20 plus years, I mean, he, you know, and I compare a 38 year old. Uh, LeBron James to a 38 year old Michael Jordan at the Washington Wizards their expertise is different so one's expertise was in dominating the game the other's expertise is how do I make this last as long as possible so I don't burn out my body and I think That's what we're talking about here. That's why there's no experts. Everyone is different. And if we look at it as I'm an expert, then we don't understand that there's longevity in our life and that at any point in time, someone can out expert us in anything if we think we're an expert. So claiming it nulls the fact that you need to constantly be growing, adapting we age differently, our minds change as we age. A lot of people become more narcissistic because they get more control of life. It's just part of the way it is and we need to adjust. And expertise, if you don't have an open mind and you don't constantly learn, then you're really not an expert of anything. And like I agree, you shouldn't call yourself an expert, but if you're ever trying to be one, it's a lifelong journey, right? And it probably never happens. We gotta constantly be learning. Things change, recipes change. Ovens change, technology changes, mm-hmm. robotics are changing. We've had food service employee shifts like I can't believe over the last four years and, and things like that. So that's where I do like this. And I and I think it's about constantly um, the always be a student, but also always be willing to be a teacher. And I don't mean teaching someone. I mean living by example and showing people so people can catch it. So when I say teach, what I really mean is you want to promote, you want promotion, Uh, you don't want promotion, you want attraction. And I think that that's part of being a human in the business. I'm not saying for the business themselves, you need to promote your businesses and you need to live a core values that attract people and have good food. But I think as a human... Most people aren't taught anything. We catch it by good teachers. You know, even in high school, in your classes all day, you're like, did you learn something? And it's like, oh, I didn't catch it because the teacher didn't throw it in a way or didn't have the thing, and everyone's different. Um, There's people who get straight A's, but I would argue they didn't actually learn everything. And to your point, I think that exposure and experience match with education really matters. So I'm going to ask this question. You mentioned uh, getting your degree. What mm-hmm. class or classes do you think getting your degree in business or in entrepreneurship best suited you for what you're doing?
1: Honestly, marketing. Because you can have the best product out there, but if people don't know about it, then it, it becomes irrelevant. So out of all the classes, I, I focused more on marketing because, I mean, I graduated in 02 not to age myself, but the technology then, was not, is not what it is today I think uh, it has become a, a lot easier and more competitive because of uh, you know vehicles like Instagram Facebook everybody's just so hooked on their phone then um, then it just makes it very easy to uh, to reach the customers but uh yeah I mean honestly marketing is the most important um, you know uh, class Uh, When you when you study business, I mean, look at McDonald's, they make billions of dollars a day, uh, you know, worldwide, but yet you still see commercials on your TV, uh, on your phone. You know, sometimes you just find it on on your email, you know, uh, on your email threads. So just just to reinforce the idea that marketing never stops. Because, like you said, there's somebody out there that's just going to outwork you and steal your customers. It's the same thing that happened in the 80s with uh, Pepsi and Coca-Cola when Coca-Cola just messed around and changed their uh, formula. And that gave, uh, you know, the, the room for Pepsi to come in and just buy a big chunk out of the, the market share uh, for, for cola soda. So um, that's why I always, uh, you know, uh, focus on just – Worrying about what you can control, which is how you run your business and how attentive you are to the consumers' needs, because they're the ones that are going to dictate uh, whether you're going to be successful or not. So, and um, yeah, I mean, marketing is everything. I, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> say that enough. You know, marketing is going to kill or is going to, uh, you know, make your uh, business thrive.
0: I love this, and I also graduated college in 2002 from Dickinson College, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And I, interesting, I, I've ha- i agree with you on the marketing a lot. I mean, I learned a lot in accounting and finance for sure. But I also had professors that told me the iPods that were coming out during the time would never go anywhere. Uh, interestingly, and things trends like chicken wings, which we know what they are today, would never last yeah. a- as part of a pizza concept. And so now we know every pizza serves wings and we also know that Mm -hmm. iPod turned into iPhones and they're lasting forever. I also had someone say that we will never truly be portable with our music um, and that we will eventually go back to like in-home stereos. And, like, the connectivity or the ability to have wireless stereos throughout our house was uh, is just nearly impossible. Our, the internet and the capacity couldn't handle it, and now we have Sonos So and other companies like it. So, you know, I think it's a grain of salt. And I also find that education, it's about the ones that and the teachers that help us learn concepts, but also in a way that helps us look forward because I think so often education is so far in the rear view mirror that as an entrepreneur, like five to seven years ago, we're reading about an article from like, you know, a Southwest airlines at the time, you know, in college, I think was the big one. And it's like, okay, they did that seven years ago. What's happening now? Because then you get out of school as an entrepreneur and you're almost a little bit behind and you got to go learn it all anyway, at least in my experience. And I think it's going to take really special professors and educators to help us catch that type of learning versus, you know, being a taught type thing. And I think we're starting to see this where interactive learning is the best way to do it. I know for me going through college, having a business, then growing business and then going to graduate school and having a business and made it apply so much more. But at the same time, not everyone is starting businesses. People are worried about partying in college and everything else. But for me, yeah. it's like it just always fit that way. And if I wanted more or I wanted more free time or I wanted more money, it seemed like I had to go create it myself. So I just want to anchor that for everyone uh, or any professors or any entrepreneurs that are listening in the podcast that there's a, there's a way to bridge the gap. There's a way to take, okay, we want to study Southwest Airlines, for example, but what is it that JetBlue and whoever they merge with – I think it's American, but maybe I'm wrong um, – are doing right now. I can't remember who it was, but whatever it is, I'm, I don't fly as much as I used to, so I don't pay attention to that stuff. When I was on an airplane, like four or five airplanes a week back in the day for 24 years, I paid attention to that stuff. I don't anymore. Uh, so I'm going to bring us into so our last two questions here. Mm-hmm. The last one, the second to last one is unless I come up with one based on your answer, but like mentors and leaders that you looked up to growing up like tell me about that obviously growing up in new york city like there's a lot more influence there but who who had the most influence and impact on you
1: oh by far my parents um uh, notably my dad uh because i he just i got to learn through how he um how he kept on growing even though he had a family he never uh settled he always went for Uh, For learning more, you know, he always went uh, for perfection, even though he doesn't believe in perfection, but he said uh, you know, on your way to perfection you can reach excellence and so that always stuck with me Uh, but he said that uh, one of the many nuggets that I I learned from him he just said that life is about learning uh, and, and if you don't humble yourself, life will humble you so just take it one day at a time and don't ever get ahead of yourself, and just learn to listen more. That's why you have two ears and and talk less. That's the reason why you have one mouth. So uh, that's just how I live my life, you know? And uh, I'm grateful and I'm blessed that I had uh, a father like that because well obviously I still have my father he's still alive but uh, even at, at my age at 42 years old I talk to him almost every day and, and I keep learning from him because you know there's a, a certain level of wisdom that gets um, attained you know the, the the older you get and uh, and I think it's silly that we have to look for other people to learn from when you should just focus on your parents first I mean, who do you know better than your parents, and who knows you better than your own parents? So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we all have different situations and uh, different, you know, uh, childhood, of course. But, uh, but in my case, um, I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for my dad. That's for sure.
0: And I agree with you. I think your parents are a great source. Um, and I've been in numerous businesses with my father, also. And so one of the things I will say is that if you're a really astute person and you're you're wanting to learn and you're wanting to grow, you can learn a lot what not to do and what to do from your parents. And even your parents, a lot of times, will be like, don't do this. And you're like, why you do it? Because they're telling you they haven't had success with it. They don't know how to stop the pattern, but they're telling you not to do it. It's like, you know, my father has a, a really blistering temper, you know, and anger. Mm-hmm. And even though I have a fraction of it, I still feel people's reaction to it if I ever let it out, which I've gotten much better with age. But I can tell you that he was telling me his whole life that I need to watch it. And I'm like, well, yours is crazy. But he was telling me because he had such adverse, you know, problems with it or adverse things that, and he didn't control his emotions the way he wanted me to and and thought that I could be successful. Now I totally get it. So I agree with you what you're saying. And that's just an example of where sometimes it can be confusing, but we can learn from our parents right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, or they know they're doing it wrong and they're trying to help you make sure you don't build bad habits like they have. So I think there's a lot of that stuff. Uh, How about outside of your parents? Is there anyone you ever like music or in the food space that you looked up to?
1: None in the food space, but uh, obviously I'm a big basketball fan. Uh, You know, I cannot be a Michael Jordan fan because I'm a Knicks fan. So, and he used to beat up on us in the nineties. So, but uh, Kobe Bryant is like the closest thing uh, to Michael Jordan. But I, I was just, just following him since he was uh in high school right and you see the the elevation and how talented he was i think the reason why he's one of the greatest is just not because he's super talented, but because he puts in the work, you know, uh, uh, year in and year out, because you can see the evolution, you know, up to the point where he learned to shoot with the, the left hand, which is crazy. I mean, how can you learn to shoot with the left hand? Um, you know, the, his defense, uh, you know, Ch- uh, simon got better and better because he became, a very good defender. Um, I wouldn't say he was the greatest three-point shooter, but, I mean, his uh, uh, mid-range jumper was second to none. I mean, that's what I appreciate more in him. Uh, It's not the dunks. It's not the, you know, the the last uh, second, you know, winning shots. It's just his dedication to the craft, even though he was – the top player like in the mid two thousands or early two thousands, I would say before LeBron came around. Uh, but, um, and, and I mean, that people should focus on, on that somebody like Kobe Bryant, and his work ethic to see that, you, how can you lose if you put in the time and the commitment and the dedication day in and day out, how can you not succeed in life? But you have to have a plan along the way because what's life without a plan? It's just, it's just a goal, you know?
0: And I love Just this, enjoyed, and, yeah. and and I grew up in the same era of basketball and, and the transition, and one of the things I will say, like, okay, like, Michael Jordan did great in the Air Jordans, and I think he – I agree. He's, like, in the era that he grew up in with the little amount basketball players got paid then little amount of structure and discipline they had on their bodies as athletes, you know, he's quite an incredible story, and I do agree with you. I think he's the best but but I will say like Shaquille O'Neal started coming out out of that era and he while everyone like was like what is he doing and he's a clown and he doesn't concentrate on the basketball court, he was he's built quite a business he was truly a business minded athlete that had broader goals of being beyond an athlete and bridging those gaps along the way and while I don't I think he could have applied himself a lot more to basketball and been a, a real phenomenon and helped Kobe and the Lakers win more championships. So Kobe doesn't only had only didn't have five. Mm-hmm. But we all learn those lessons and I think there's a lesson right there. And then, you know, there's the Scotty Pippen who is in the Dennis Rodman who understood they were like apostles of Jesus. They didn't need to be the number one, but they knew that their role. And if they played their role, well, it was more like an apostle winning and they could win championships. And Dennis Rodman's a whole other head case and wouldn't get away with what he got away with now in the sports world, but either way. And he came along for the last three, not the first three, where Pippen was there for all six, I believe. Um, but I could be wrong. The um No, I think he was. And, and he was number 33, which is the greatest number ever. And yeah. so there's that. And then you get into the Kobe Bryant and the Stephon Currys and the LeBron James of the world, okay? And, like, Stephon Curry is one of the most underrated basketball players I think there are. I've never seen a team player, a leader, and someone that can do what he can do with the basketball in the same way. But he doesn't play for necessarily a top-tier town. And even with everything he does – He's so unselfish that he weirdly will not push himself to that 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 magnitude or that hype or that, oh, I would say, ego and confidence. That the other ones have that also get them spotlight, like Kobe Bryant, like would go to China or Asia. I mean, and he was bigger than Michael Jordan. I remember going to play soccer in Europe in the nineties, and people were just starting to learn what Michael Jordan was, and he wasn't quite popular. But then I went back over in like the nineties, two thousands, even to Asia and in grad school, and ev- still even then, like everyone's a like Kobe Bryant crazy. Even with LeBron coming into the league around two thousand three, two thousand four, and doing as well as he did, and calling himself the king. Kobe Bryant was still the Black Mamba. You know what I'm saying? Like he was just he'd strangle people with work ethic. And if you were on his team, he he you were going to catch what he had. It was a disease, and you'd feel bad about yourself if you didn't work as hard as he did. And so from that standpoint of an athlete, I don't know anyone who took it more seriously with more discipline and actually, you know, even influenced people while Jordan influenced Kobe and that's how they met and their trainers were the same. LeBron Mm -hmm. was so influenced by Kobe Bryant's work ethic and working with him with the Olympic team that uh, when the U S basketball team that I don't know if LeBron James would quite be the same person he is today without that Kobe Bryant influence for sure. Um, so I like how it's sort of stacked there. This is my last question. Then I'm going to let you go. Um, Mm -hmm where do you want to see this three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, 25 years down the road? Where are you hoping this business goes? Are you hoping <laughs> that there's multiple locations? I mean, or, or what are your plans for expansion? Are there plans for expansion or, and are you strategically thinking about this in your head?
1: Oh, absolutely. Actually, we're in the process of, um, uh, you know, develop, uh, well, looking for, um, location number two, but, <laughs> but also what got in the way is, uh, my partner and I, um, you know, we, we have a, uh, like a bar slash burger spot that just opened in January. So, uh, we, so we just put in, you know, the, the expansion plans on pause for now until we take care of the burger spot and uh, get it to where it needs to be. And then, uh, then we'll just focus some more on expanding the Twist Hot Chickens uh, brand. But uh, the, the master plan is just to have no more than five locations within this area. Uh, we understand that, sure, there are plenty of opportunities out there if we expand, let's just say, in other states, other cities. But um, I just, I'm not a big fan of, of uh, you know doing that because the integrity of the food is gonna get lost. Uh, in the process, and I love making great food. I just, I just don't think that um, uh, you know, the quality control is going to be there if you have more than five locations. Even with five locations, is stretching a little bit. I mean, we already been. Uh, I mean, we had people that uh, reached out to us. Uh, you know, they're more interested in franchising the, the concept, but we're so against it because I just don't think that uh, is going to serve us well. For what we currently to accomplish long term,
0: I love it. I'm going to have you guys back on, or at least you, if your partner wants to join. I want to talk about the Burger Spot. We should do another podcast on that. Maybe uh, once you guys get it off the ground, and in, in a month or two. But I'll reach out anyway. I'm in right. your, and I believe her name was Hillary. Um, I'll reach out yeah. to her. And the other thing is is I'd love to have you guys on a part two of this episode. I'll wait a few months, let some time go by. I'd love to get you back on and see how the delivery business goes and see how you guys are doing there because I want to see what the impact is of your business and just discuss it with the audience. One, because I'm personally curious, but I think it would be a good lesson for the audience to just talk about it because I think that you're going to find a lot more success because you built a brand first. So
1: Absolutely. It's, I'll be looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you want to share with the audience, like as you let go or anything you wish you you had known that you, you know, now from your past, or any of the entrepreneurs out there like I want like a a leaving uh, farewell statement for, for example, not really that but more or less like, if you could instill something in anyone or influence or impact anyone in any way with some sort of knowledge or experience, what would those be?
1: You know, it's pretty simple. You know, a lot of people are just settling life because they're scared to do something, right? Because they're scared that they're going to, um, you know, suffer financially. Look, th- the bills are going to keep coming, whether you have the money or you don't. So if you truly believe in uh, in your skills, right, and then you have an idea that's been on your mind for years, uh, you know, that, that that inner voice only going to get louder with time because, we are meant to, to, you know, to chase our purpose. And uh, by, I mean, by nature, human beings are hunters, whether people realize that or not. So uh, the bottom line is, you know, sure, fear does exist. But once you get past fear, there are just great things behind that closed door, so to speak, or the magic door, as people refer to. Uh, just, Just do it you know just don't think about it don't think about uh oh i'm gonna do when i'm ready you're ready now i mean (laughs) you love it now you want to do something about it just just do it i mean obviously i took a big financial hit when i started my first restaurant because i went from the corporate life which was uh very uh you know uh, lucrative uh and rewarding but I, i always felt like at heart i was an entrepreneur and and I love taking risks, you know. And uh, as an entrepreneur, you have to be a little bit delusional, where you feel like no matter what position you're in, you're gonna make it work. And I think that's what makes us—that's what makes entrepreneurs successful uh, in the long term—is just that uh, perseverance and that tenacity to just keep going no matter what happens. So, you know, to sum it all up, just I understand fear is is crippling. But you have to learn to deal with it and live with it if you want to achieve your dreams, and that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah, awesome. And everyone listening in, I thank you guys for listening. And I'm sure you there's been huge thunder, and even with the soundboards and everything else, you can hear the thunderstorm and, and breaks up a little bit. So I apologize if anyone can hear that, but I'll try to get it out of there. I just want to say that. But lastly, like, where can they find you online, and where are you located?
1: Okay, so uh, our website is uh, www.twisthotchicken.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, twist.hotchicken. Uh, um, and also, uh, we are located at 8386 West Thunderbird Road, uh, suite number 103, and that's in Peoria, Arizona, which is 10, 15 minutes away from downtown Phoenix. Uh, we are located on the West Valley. Uh, And we'll be looking forward to serving you soon.
0: Awesome. I appreciate you. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. And like I said, the communication's been amazing. And I appreciate it. Not everyone's as good as you guys are. And when we had a reschedule and staying on top of it and giving me the information and stuff like that. So it's been outstanding as well as... I mean, your social media is so well run and I like what you guys are doing and I can see it climbing. I'm very excited to see what you guys do because your food and the way you present it and the quality I can tell from the photos is just outstanding. So, again, I appreciate your time and coming oh, on the thank show. You. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And it gave me a little throwback to New York. I always love remembering my time in New York City from the food standpoint for sure and the lifestyle and 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 everything and now I'm running back and forth there a bunch and it's really reentered my life uh, primarily because of the podcast and a TV show we're developing, but I missed it and the food there is unique the the music there is unique the humans there mm-hmm. are unique and when you go outside it it's not quite the same I I will say I don't miss living in an urban jungle. But And I do like my space since I grew up on a farm. But there is something about the city. There is something about the food. And the entrepreneurial ingenuity and creativity that goes on there in food on such a regular basis is insane. And I love that Instagram, for example, is capturing that like they did for you and your growth. But for all humans right now, like uh, the Reels thing is really doing great for food. And it's giving people a way of seeing the food versus just seeing a picture. Uh, And I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. So lastly, uh, thank you everyone again for listening in. I love you guys. I appreciate the growth in the podcast. Uh, You know, the downloads are going up like a ton, which is just thrilling because I've been working on this for five years and we've had our spurts and ebbs and flows, mostly because how much time I've been able to spend with it as an entrepreneur. But now that we've got a program down that we're spending full time on it, That we're also launching, like I said, the other podcasts I mentioned at the beginning and the TV show uh, development. We're seeing a lot of traction. So I appreciate everyone listening in, the sharing, the word of mouth, the sharing on social media and everything you guys are doing. So I love you guys. I really appreciate it. And I know entrepreneurs that you're sharing it with. And are trying to get in the fruit game are learning from these and it's really becoming something applicable by telling the story of the actual entrepreneurs in the game live right now not looking at as a past thing we're telling the story as it's happening and we have a lot of these entrepreneurs back on the show part ones part twos part threes part fours, because I want everyone to see it's not just a snapshot we're going to continue to tell the stories because they matter. And it matters as an entrepreneur that you see that we have to continue this journey for a lifetime, as we also discussed on this podcast. So, again, if you want to find us, we're on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. If you want to order food and you don't want to go out, open up the DoorDash app and deliver away. You might find one of these guys on there, including Twist Hot Chicken uh, and Peoria. So thank you guys again. You can find me on Instagram at justinthefoodentrepreneurs and you can DM me if you want to be on the show or you have any questions for a future entrepreneur who's going to be on the show. And with that being said, thank you everyone and we're out.